Whenever we try something new, <clears throat> something that's new to us, there's always a period of time of sort of figuring out the basics. Uh, there, there are always some basic principles that you have to learn, memorize, understand uh, before you can enjoy a new hobby or, or a new habit. Um, if, you, uh, if you're going to take up golf, like if this is your year, you're going to learn golf. There's just some basic things about the golf swing and about the game of golf and the rules and, and etiquette that you just have to learn. And they're not necessarily real exciting, but, but they're just sort of basic principles that you have to know. If you, if you decide you want to take up photography as a hobby, then you know, there's some things about lenses and light and, and poses and all of those sort of things. You just got to learn some basic stuff. Um, snow skiing, if, if, you, if you want to take up snow skiing, then there's some, some principles of gravity, uh, weight distribution that's helpful to know uh, if you're going to be able to enjoy snow skiing at all. It's just, just basic things that you have to learn in order to be able to enjoy a new hobby. Now, we're, we're at a uh, season of the year, and this is what we've been talking about, where people are trying new things or things that are new to them. They're not brand new, but they're new to them. And maybe they've tried them before, but they, they, they weren't successful, and so they're coming back and trying it again. Or maybe they're just trying it for the very first time. And, and the beginning of a year is, is the time when a lot of people do that. I, I, I was, I'm reading a book called When, W-H-E-N, by Daniel Pink. And in it, he describes research into temporal landmarks. We know what a landmark is. Like if you were going to tell me how to come to your house or I was going to tell you how to get to my house, I wouldn't just tell you the roads. I'd tell you the things to look for, right? Like go past the QT or turn at Zaxby's or go through the intersection of Walnut Grove. That way you'd know you're on the right track, right? It would motivate you to keep going <clears throat> because you know that you're going the right way. Temporal landmarks are similar to that. They are landmarks that have to do with time. That's what temporal means in this sense. Landmarks that have to do with time. And the, the whole research says <clears throat> that there are certain times of the calendar and certain periods, times in our life that are particularly good times for starting something new, starting a new habit or a new hobby or a new goal or reevaluating life. <clears throat> and it's not something we necessarily think about. It just happens. We pay attention to those times. And some of them are really simple, like Mondays are temporal landmarks. They're the beginning of a new week. Uh, they also call it the fresh start effect. Because like on a Monday, much as we hate Mondays, right? As much as we post about having to go back to work. Monday is still a fresh start, like it's a new routine. All right, we're getting back at it. I got another seven days to try to do better than the last seven days. So it's a, it's a marker where I can leave the past behind. I can start something brand new. So Mondays are, are temporal landmarks. The first day of the month, okay, we get 12 of those every year. So January 1st, February 1st, temporal landmark. It's Put January behind, whatever I didn't do well, I get a fresh month, I get to start, I get to start over. Interesting, research suggests that the day after a federal holiday is a temporal landmark, right? You get Monday off, you have a long weekend, you're lazy, you eat bad, all right, now let's get back into the routine. Let's, let's, get, let's start doing things the right way again. The day after your birthday 
is a temporal landmark. Because on your birthday, you eat cake and you go out to celebrate with all your friends and, and then you wake up the next day and go, okay, I can't keep doing that. I've got to, I've got to start fresh. I was listening to a podcast interview with uh, Pink and actually my wife listened to it and told me to listen to it. And so I listened to it because that's what I do when my wife tells me to do something. I listened to the podcast and Daniel Pink in this course of this interview asked, what do you think the most common age is for a person to run their first marathon? Any marathoners uh, in the house? Any guesses? What's the most common age for someone to complete their first marathon? 26.2 miles road race. 40, 35, 29. You know what the second most common age is? 39. You know what the third most common age is? 49. That's exactly right. The end of a decade and the beginning of a new one is a a temporal marker. It's a time we reassess our life. We kind of look at where we are. Okay, I'm about to become 30. uh, And when in my 30s, I want to be. In my 40s, I want to be. And so most common age for somebody to finish their first marathon is 29. And then the next one's 39. And the next one is uh, 49. Now, obviously... The, the most popular of all temporal landmarks is New Year's, right? And, and, and let me just point out, not all of them are like happy, celebrative times. Uh, the anniversary of the loss of a loved one can be a temporal marker. It can be a time where you go, I, I want to make better decisions. It's, this is when I lost my dad, and I want to start making better decisions, or... Um, they didn't take good care of themselves when they got older. I want to start taking better care of myself. All of those things can be markers for change. They can accelerate my desire and even my success at making change. Now, New Year's is uh, the most common one, the most significant one. And we're not going to argue about whether you should have resolutions or not have resolutions. I know some people get worked up about that and they never make resolutions or... They don't think they're important. It doesn't matter how you feel about that. Obviously, though, a lot of people try to make changes in January. Um, one, one, One statistic, Google searches for the word diet on January 1st go up by 82%. They almost double over any other day of the year. Now, there's, a, there's like a 10, 12% bump on Mondays. And on the first day of the month, but January, 1st of January, Google searches for diet go up 82%, almost double, right? And and that's what we're thinking during this time of the year is how do I start making some changes? But here's the thing about making changes. In order to make changes, you have to do some basic things right in order to be successful at the change. It's not just grand goal, right? It's not just, I want to run a marathon. Like, that's a great goal. If you've run a marathon, you know it's a lot of work to, to run a marathon. And it's really painful when you get there. Right? This, so there's all of these things that go into it. It's more than just, I want to do this. It's, it's more than, well, this is a temporal landmark. This is the beginning of a new year. Well, I'm 29. I'll be 30 in 12 months. And so I want to make some change. It's more than just wanting to change. It's actually, actually implementing change into our life. The big one, obviously, in New Year's is the whole health thing. Right? I, I, I want to get in better shape when it comes. I, I want to exercise 
more. It's a great goal. Hopefully some of you have made that goal and you're sticking with it. That's a great goal. But there are some basics of exercise that if you don't implement, you're never going to get in better shape. You, you actually have to move your body if you want to get in better shape. Weird, I know. Like you, your heart rate actually has to get elevated for a sustained period of time if you want to get in better shape. You actually have to step on the treadmill while it's moving and not just hang clothes on it, right? You, ha- actually, you have to do that. You have to build muscle. You have to figure out how to use the weight machines. It's not enough just to buy a gym membership. You actually have to go to the gym. And when you get there, you have to do more than talk to your friends and take selfies, right? You actually have to use the machines so your heart rate gets elevated, so your muscles feel resistance, <clears throat> so that you get in better shape. Same thing with nutrition, right? It's, it's kind of a basic theory. If you put more calories in your body than you burn, and you do this over time, eventually you're going to gain weight. Right? And I know it's metabolism. Is, it's, I know it's complicated, but it's not complicated either. I mean, it, a lot of it just comes down to energy. Do I put more energy in than I burn in a given day? And if I don't, then I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to gain weight. It, 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 you just got to do the basics. And, the, and the, the basics aren't as romantic as the ideal. They aren't as romantic as the dream. But you have to do them. A lot of people, <clears throat> they spend a great deal of money on stuff that's not actually doing the exercise, but they think it's going to help them do the exercise, right? People spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on gadgets. For example, I brought some. I thought you'd want to see this. Um, This is a GPS watch, right? It's big enough to have a satellite inside of it. It doesn't really, but it could. Like this GPS, it will tell you where you go and how far you went and how fast you went. And it will download it to your computer and you can print it out and you can look at it every day. Like you could track every step. Some of you have Fitbits. It does sort of the same thing, right? It counts your steps. It's a gadget. It costs money. Um, uh, Along with your watch or your Fitbit This is a heart rate monitor. People buy these. And it tells your watch how fast your heart is beating for a sustained amount of time. We have iPods, right, because we want to listen to tunes while we're exercising. Extremely important. So we spend money on those. Um, we, We buy glasses that will help us look better, and not get sun in our eyes when we're inside in the gym. You can buy wristbands. You can buy a headband. Like, you can spend literally thousands of dollars on gadgets. Literally thousands of dollars. People do this. People who have never cycled, like they've never been on a road bike, they will buy a top-of-the-line, multi-thousand-dollar bicycle, shoes that clip in, 
right? The tight little onesie kit with the tight shorts and the, the zip-up thing because they think they're going to be in the Tour de France one day, right? And so they buy all of this stuff, and six months later, it's on Craigslist. It, go look at Craigslist. There's treadmills and Stairmasters and expensive bicycles that people bought six months ago. Because it doesn't matter how many gadgets you buy if you don't do the basics. It doesn't matter if you have a new shirt or new yoga pants, right? It doesn't matter if your body doesn't move. You can have a brand new outfit or you can have 10-year-old gym shorts. What matters is, is your body move? Is your heart rate elevated? Now, I saw some of you taking pictures. Um, here's the thing. Spiritually, we can sometimes do sort of that same thing. We said a couple of weeks ago, and we want to pray that God sends us like this fresh wind of His presence and this fresh breath, this movement of God in our midst. And we can get all our gadgets, you know, and we can like download our, all our Bible versions on our phone, or we can buy a new study Bible. There's nothing wrong with any of that. All of that can be helpful. But sometimes we like get all this new stuff to get going, and then we just sit and wait for it to happen. And what I've found is that when God births something new, like a fresh power, fresh, fresh breath among a group of people, usually those people are already in motion. Like spiritually, they're already in motion. They're already seeking Him. Like They're already doing some basic things that have them spiritually in motion. And God says, I'm going to use these people. Just some basics. So today, I'm mean, just being honest, we're, we're going to cover some basics. As a matter of fact, they're so basic, I, I'm not even going to give you like 10 Bible verses to back up what I'm telling you to do, right? Because... If you go to church, if you're here on a Sunday morning, then what I'm going to say, you're going to go, oh, yeah, well, right, we're supposed to be doing that. Of course we're supposed to be doing that. So, like, we're not going to track through 50 verses to try to prove that we should be doing these. You're going to know we should be doing these. And it's January. It's a new year. It's a temporal landmark. Maybe this is the season that some of these should be new to you. Like you, you should try these for the first time or maybe for the first time in a really, really long time. Here's a verse from uh, Psalms. Psalm 19, one, uh, Psalm 19, 11. I have hidden your word in my heart. Just a really simple verse. Some of us, if you grew up like in church, you maybe even memorized that verse when you were a kid. I've hidden your word in my heart. The psalmist said, says, I'm trying to internalize your thoughts and your messages. All throughout the psalms, we're told of the importance of the precepts of God. That's one word that's used in English. The laws of God. The psalmist says, Look, I'm trying to get your thinking into my mind. I'm trying to get your word, what you've said, I want to get it into my life so that I'm guided by that, so that I know what you have to say. I want to bury your word and your thoughts deeply into my heart. Now, how do you do that? It's a basic answer. It's a really basic answer. You do that 
because you read God's Word consistently. If you want to start something new, if you want to, if you want to jumpstart spiritually this year, if you really want to see God move, then you and I, we have to reprioritize, if it's lost some priority in our life, we have to reprioritize the place of the Word of God in our lives. Very easy to prove. We, we, we see it all the time. The churches that are the most effective at reaching people and changing lives and seeing God at work and sensing the power of God consistently, those are the churches that have a commitment to the Word of God, the Bible that we've been given. Consistently. It's not even close. As a matter of fact, where you see churches and denominations moving away from what God said in His Word, every time you see them begin to decline. Every, every time. The churches that are the most powerfully at work in the world are those who have a robust commitment to this is what God says, which sounds a little counterintuitive because in 2018, there's a lot of things that the Bible says that... Not everybody likes and agrees with in 2018. Like people have a hard time with some of the things that the Bible has to say. But over and over again, you, we see it proven. Like if you, you want to experience a movement of God, you want to experience the power of God, then let the Word of God speak for itself and get it into your life as a church. Don't, don't try to re, rewrite it or explain it away or say, well, it doesn't mean that or, well, God doesn't mean that anymore. He used to think that. He doesn't think that anymore. God changed his mind about that one thing. No, don't do any of that. Just have this robust, this, this commitment to this is what God said. Now, I'm going to get that in my life. And that's not only true for churches as a whole. That's true for individuals. And when you meet people who are deeply grounded in their spiritual faith, when you meet people who have a depth and a communion, like a deep relationship with God, every time, it's because they're spending time in God's Word, they're committed to God's Word. And I want us to be those people in 2018. Like I want us as individual. I want to be that person in 2018. I want us to be that church in 2018. And we're not hostile about it. And, and, and we're not cruel to people who disagree with what we believe about the Word of God. But on our side, for, from us, we are deeply, profoundly committed to the Word of God, to what it says, and to getting that into our lives. Now, there's a, a, a bunch of reasons to do this. Let me just give you two. One is to help us believe all that is true about God and about us. This is one of the reasons we should read God's word consistently. To help us believe everything that's true about God and about us. I mean, it would be awful for there to be truths about God that we have access to. Like we could read it in the Bible and it would encourage our hearts. Like it would give us strength. It would give us more faith. It would, it, it would build up our confidence. And we didn't even know that about God because we don't read his word. I want to know everything there is to know about God and what he's like and what his love is like and what his power is like and, and, and what he thinks and what he wants and what he doesn't want and what he desires for my life. I, I want to know everything there is to know about God. And the most clear source for that, the most objective source for that is the Bible. 
Because page after page, God is revealing, this is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. This is what I think. This is what I want. This is what I want you to stay away from. This is something you shouldn't do because I love you. I'm trying to protect you from something here. I want to know everything I can know about God. And I want to know everything I can know about how God sees me. Like some of us, I fear we go through times in our life where we're riddled with uncertainty and doubt and insecurities and anxieties and fear about the future. When if we just got clarity on how God sees us, it would help with some of that. Like if we just we read God's word about what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. And, and how we are identified with Jesus as, as God's child and, and what Jesus came to do for us. If we just understood the way God sees us, it would change the way we approach our life and our relationships and maybe even the world. Like, I want to know everything there is to know about who God is and everything there is to know about who I am. But kind of the opposite of that is true as well. We need to read God's word consistently to keep us from believing anything that isn't true about God or about us. I mean, we need to be protected because our minds can go a, 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 down a lot of roads, roads when it comes to who God is and what God is like. Like I can create a God in my mind that's not exactly like the God that is. Sometimes people begin conversations or, or social media posts with the phrase, uh, I could never believe in a God who, fill in the blank. I could never believe in a God who would, who would fill in the blank. Um, but the problem with that is God is not defined by what I can or can't believe about him. Like God is God. Like he is God in his nature. And he's revealed his nature in scripture. And if, if I'm not careful, I'll hear from people, many of them who have spent little time thinking about God, little time studying about God, but they, they have all of these ideas of what God must be like. And if I'm not careful, I can begin to think things about God that aren't really true about God. I want to be protected. I want to be guarded from viewing God in a way that isn't accurate to who God is. And the clearest way to do that, the most objective way to do that, is in His Word. Because he reveals himself page after page. This is what I'm like. This is what you can trust. This is what you can depend on. Same thing for me is I don't want to view myself in a way that is not true to how God created me. I don't want to view myself in a way that is not true to what God expects of me. Because I can rationalize a lot of things about myself too. Like I can project my thinking onto God. I, I, can, I can project my political views onto God. That's astonishing. Can you believe people do that? Like, and they put it on social media. Like They project their political views onto God. I, I don't want to project my thoughts onto God. I want to know God's thoughts and get those thoughts in my head. Like I want my thinking to adapt, to morph, to God's thinking, and not the other way around. So... How do I do that? Well, I read God's word consistently. Like I come to it on a regular basis. I get it in my mind. I get it in my life. I get it in my heart. It's just a basic. Another basic. Um, we need to pray regularly. I told you, it's not new, right? It's not like some big, wow, never heard that before. Just pray regularly. 
Jesus does this. I don't know if this matters to you. It should matter to you. But when you read the life of Jesus, his, his adult life and his adult ministry, you find his days punctuated with times of prayer. Like times when he needed to get away and talk to his father. Times when he needed to pull away from the rush and the chaos and the crowds and just have time to talk to his father, God the Father. Now, there's a lot about prayer that's mysterious. I'm, I'm happy admitting that. I mean, there's a lot about how it works and, and, and what does it do and, and if God's already decided or has he decided or does God change his mind or does God... I mean, there's a lot about prayer that's really mysterious. We could spend a whole series just on that. What is not mysterious is that Jesus thought this was important. That's not mysterious at all. Jesus thought he needed to pray. Think about it. The Son of God thought he needed to pray. And if the Son of God needed to pray, I'm kind of thinking you and I need to pray. This needs to be a part of our life if Jesus felt it was necessary in his life, and all through us, right up until the end, like right before he's arrested and crucified, Jesus is praying. So yeah, there's some mystery to prayer, but what's not a mystery is what Jesus thought about prayer, that it was vital. The other thing that's not really a mystery about prayer is how to do it. Um, it's just talking, and you, we talk all the time. It's just talking to God, as we were talking to a good, good father, we just sang about that, right? It's like conversation. What, what's on my mind? What am I thinking? What am I anxious about? What, what decision am I trying to make? Who am I concerned about? Who has a need? What are my needs? What, what are my desires? How do I bring those before God? It's, it's just conversation. It's, it's just talking to God, but talking to him on a regular basis. You, you don't have to have like a special vocabulary to talk to God. You don't have to like do something with your voice to, you know, you don't, you just talk, just however you would talk, talk to God. And I know it's odd because there's like not somebody right in front of you. Like you go to Starbucks and you talk to your friend, they're right in front of you. I get the mystery of it. Okay. I get the, the little bit of weirdness to it, but the Bible promises like your father in heaven is listening. Like he is attentive to our conversation, to our talking to him. And so just talk. Just, just pray. If you read God's word consistently, what you'll find is all of the characters in the Bible prayed. And you'll come across their prayers. Moses prayed and David prayed and, and Jesus prayed and Paul prayed. And so you'll find these prayers in the Bible if you're reading through God's word consistently. And you'll learn some things. You'll learn how they prayed and what they prayed for and why they prayed for certain things. And that's great. Learn all of that. But when you start to talk to God, you don't have to sound like Paul did. right? You don't have to sound like Moses or David. Just sound like you. You're God's child. He wants to hear from you. you know, I, have three, I have three kids. I don't expect them to sound like each other. I expect them to sound like them. I want to hear from them and what's going on in their life. There are different stages in their life. I want to hear what's happening in their life. And that's the way God is with you. Just talk. Read God's word consistently. Pray regularly. Here's the third one. This one may be a little new to some of us. I would encourage you in 2018 to fast occasionally. Fasting is um, 
doing without something for a period of time to focus more intently on God, prayer, and spiritual life. It's like giving something up so that my, my spiritual awareness can be heightened for a period of time. And, and I realize that some people fast to lose weight or fast for other reasons. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fasting focused specifically on how do I grow closer to God? Primarily in the Bible, fasting was from food. So you abstained from a meal or you abstained from a couple of meals. And there were various reasons why people would do this or groups of people would do this. And sometimes they would do it because they, they wanted to have a little more intensity to their prayer life. And so instead of eating a meal, they would use that time, that energy, that emotion for coming to God and, and, and speaking to God and praying to God because they... Maybe another reason people would fast is there was a decision coming up and they, they wanted to put themselves in the best position to hear from God. And so fasting was a part of God. I need to hear from you. I need to get your mind. And so I'm going to up my prayer game a little bit. I'm going to pray a little bit more. And so that I can pray a little bit more, I'm going to do without this thing so that I can focus more on you. Sometimes it was a part of repentance, like when a, a person or the nation of Israel strayed away from God. They sinned, they disobeyed, they got way over here, punishment came, and, and, and they decided, no, we, we got to recalibrate our spiritual life. We got to get back on God's page. Like we got to reorient our thinking, our mind, our heart. We got to bring it back to God, and so we're going to use fasting as a tool to do that. Now, real quickly, fasting was never a punishment in the Bible, right? It, it wasn't, I sin, so I'm going to fast to make up for it. That's not what it was. Jesus took all of the punishment for all of our sin, past, present, future. Fasting was not a way to punish yourself so God would like you again. But sometimes in the Bible, when people strayed away from God, they thought, like, this this will just help me clear my mind and get my thoughts back to God. So I'm going to make it a part of my spiritual life occasionally. I would encourage you to try that some in, in 2018. And there are lots of different fasts. Again, the primary one in the Bible is food, but there's lots of things you can fast from. People, people today fast from uh, social media sometimes. Right? They'll decide for a week, I'm not going to log on and I'm going to redirect those thoughts more towards God. I'm going to spend more time reading God's Word. I'm going to read a Christian author that, that can encourage me a week or a month or however long, people disengage. It's often good to fast from activities that have started to control you. Right? They've become habit-forming in a bad way. Like you're always going for that thing. That's, that's sort of running your day or you're, you're given a lot of mental space to that thing. Those sort of things you can benefit from, I can benefit from by just saying, I'm going to fast from that for a little while because I think it's got too much control over me or my day or my thinking space. I just need to separate myself from that. All of those are great ways to fast. Now, the Bible, it doesn't give a lot of rules about fasting. It doesn't give like, here are the 10 rules to fasting. Uh, really, in my opinion, there's just one really big one. And there's one really big fasting rule, and that is don't make a show out of it. Like, don't use fasting to draw attention to how spiritual you are. Don't, don't, don't say, hey, everybody, I'm fasting. It's so hard. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I'm struggling so much. 
Jesus talked about people who do that. And he said, that's kind of meaningless. Like, they're not going to get anything spiritually out of that. So don't make a show out of whatever it is. Just between you and God, maybe one other person who can encourage you and pray for you. Um, I, I, I've never seen this happen before, but I'm pretty sure you could fast for, from social media without posting on social media that you're going to fast from social media. I'm thinking that's possible. Again, I've never seen anybody do it. Everybody I knew always posts that they're fasting from social media. But I bet you could actually fast from social media and not post that on social media. Like, that's the only rule. The only rule is this is not about drawing attention to you. This is about you getting your attention more on God. And so spend some time with this, with this practice. Now, last thing. In Pink's book, When... He again, about halfway through, he gives three suggestions. If you're, if you're in one of those temporal landmarks, you're trying to jumpstart a new habit, a new goal. And those three suggestions are start, start again, and start together. Cover them quickly. Start, give yourself the best opportunity at success when you begin. Right? It's, the, it's a new year. You just turned 29, going to be 30, trying to get something, whatever it is. How do, you, how do you organize this new thing in a way that you're most going to be successful? In other words, plan. When am I going to do these things? When am I going to read my Bible? Because if I'm currently not reading my Bible, that's got to go somewhere in my day. Maybe it's the morning. Maybe it's lunch. Maybe it's at the end of the day. Wherever it is, just have a plan. What am I going to read? There's lots of great things. There's almost too many great things right now because it's hard to pick. Right? You, you could just pick a book of the Bible. And, and, and just start reading through it. Uh, Mark is a good one. James is a good one. First John is a good one. You can just pick a place to start. Start at the beginning of the New Testament. All right, Matthew chapter 1, which admittedly is tough to get through. But once you get to Matthew 2, things get better. Just, just have a plan. The YouVersion app, uh, it's back there. The YouVersion app has hundreds, thousands of devotionals. Some of them are really short. Some of them are, are, are six months. Some of them are a year. Some of them are seven days. You get a notification to remind you to read. All right, so you're sort of putting it into the regular schedule of your day. Have a plan so that you're, you can start and be successful. And then the other thing I'd say about starting is set a reasonable goal for where you're going to start with any of these things that you're going to try. Um, it would be better, it would be better to read one chapter a day and stick with it for six months than to say, I'm going to read 10 chapters a day and quit after the first week. You're going to read more of God's word. It's going to get in you better if you just take a little bit and you stay with it versus just trying to, to, to overcome this mountain every single day. John Acuff, uh, his new book is called Finish. One of the suggestions that, that his research came up with was set a goal and then cut that goal in half. Right, whatever your goal is, cut it in half because you're going to have a greater chance at meeting that goal and meeting a goal sort of builds on itself. Like the, 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 enthuse, the encouragement, the, the good feeling of, hey, I met the goal versus having this huge goal and being discouraged all the time because you don't ever measure up. So set a reasonable goal. So start. Have a plan. Number two, start again. 
when you get behind, when you fail, just pick a new start date and start over. Or pick up wherever you are and start going. Just know that you're going to get into this and, and some things are going to go well and some things aren't going to go well. That's okay. Just, just try again. Just, just pick a new temporal landmark, right? All right. This day, I'm starting again. You actually don't have to wait till next January to start new habits. Uh, you could start new habits in February. It can be done. March, June. Right? Start again. Uh, some of you are like me. You, you, you launched into read the Bible through the year. I'm doing it through you version. I'm already behind. Just, just be honest. I'm a pastor. I'm just telling, I'm already behind. Um, but I, but I start again every day. I don't go back to Genesis 1. I pick up where I left off. Okay? I'm a few days behind. That's okay. But I, I'm going to read today. And tomorrow I'm going I'm to read again. Okay? Start. Then be okay if you have to start again. That's fine. And then the third thing is start together. Meaning that it is often helpful in beginning new habits, even basic habits... If you have an encourager in your life, if you have somebody that's praying for you, if you have somebody that's checking in on you, maybe somebody, maybe the two of you read the same thing. You, you, you subscribe to the same you version uh, reading plan. And so once a day you text each other, hey, this is what I got out of today. Hey, this was the verse that stood out to me. You know how it helps you get to the gym when you know somebody's waiting for you at the gym? Like when you have another friend that's going to be at the gym at 6 in the morning, it's a little more motivating for you to get to the gym at 6 in the morning. This Spiritual growth works the same way. It's a little more motivating when I know, hey, so-and-so is reading the same thing today, and, and they're going to text me. I'm going to text them, and we're doing this together. So start, start again, start together. Now, here's the deal, and I'm closing. Tomorrow is a temporal landmark. How about that? It's Monday. It's Monday. If you miss Monday, Thursday is February 1st. There's another one right there. This week, we got two temporal landmarks. We got two great times to start fresh. So start. And when you fail, start again. Maybe find somebody to start together with. But often it's in doing the basics over time that we see the impact. We're in God's Word. When, it, when our communication with God is consistent and growing, you extrapolate that out three months or six months or five years. That's not telling what God would do in your life. It's a great saying. I don't know who said it first. We, we overestimate what can happen in a year and underestimate what can happen in 10 years. And if we shrink that down, sometimes we overestimate what could happen in a week. Like we get to the end of the week, we think, oh, well, I don't know that God really said anything this week. I know, but go another week. And let that turn into a month and let that turn into a year and let that turn into five years of you putting God's word into your heart and you learning better how to communicate with God. And you're constantly recalibrating your heart and mind back to Him. Well, over five years, over ten years, what God might do spiritually in your life and in the life of the community that you're in, we have no idea. Let's pray.
God, sometimes it's the basics that trip us up. We want, we want to lose 10 pounds, but it's just hard to exercise. We, we want to eat better, but cake. Just, we want to grow spiritually. And you've given us tools. You've, you've, you've given us your word chock full of information and encouragement and vital words from your heart to ours. You, you, you allow us to talk to you. It's like we're talking to everybody else. So as we, as we launch into 2018, as we pray for, ask for, desire spiritual growth and vitality and a movement of God, help us to remember just the basics that need to be in our lives so that we could see you work more fully. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.